Have you ever uh, tried to watch maybe a Netflix series or a movie uh, or show where you picked up mid-season uh, or mid-series? Have you ever done that? Or have you ever been watching a movie and one of your kids come in or somebody come in and, they're ha- and you're halfway through it and you kind of got to help them with it? It's so frustrating, right? And, um, and you can sort of be lost in the series if you don't sort of know the whole story. And so uh, for those of you who know, I, I liked the Netflix series uh, Walking Dead. Um, there's 11 seasons of it, and it's an apocalyptic story of uh, a virus that hits the world, and zombies walk around and all kinds of stuff. So, but anyway, uh, there's 11 seasons of it, and my, fav- one, my favorite character that I was most intrigued with is a guy by the name of ne- Negan, and Negan uh, kills uh, another main character, Maggie's husband, all right? And so when you get to the end of uh, season 11, the last season, and that whole season, you... Um, uh, Maggie and Negan are, are together more, and he sort of has been, um, if you will, has uh, gotten better, uh, Negan has. And, uh, and so, and you feel this tension of Maggie forgiving him for killing her uh, husband. And she, you sort of like, and if you had joined mid-season, you'd think, come on, like, he's a good guy now, you know, uh, accept, uh, accept him now. He wants to be forgiven by you. But listen, only someone who'd have jumped in mid-season would sort of think that way, I think. Because in season seven, when Negan actually killed Maggie's husband, it was one of the worst scenes I've ever seen. It was uh, in a series or in a movie. It, was, it shook me up when I saw it on the series. I remember where I was, and I saw how he killed her husband. I almost turned the television off, and it was, it's one of those movie scenes or, or series movie scenes that's forever imprinted. I don't know if you've I have a few movies, I'm like, I remember that scene. This is one of those for me. It shook me up. It really did. So, um, as we come to the seventh book of the Bible, uh, Judges, uh, Judges is a scene and really a movie, if you will, a full story. But it's, a, it's one season, if you will, or one chapter of a book or the sto- of, of, that God is writing. And, how, and if you don't understand how it fits into the whole story of the Bible, uh, you'll get sidetracked, like I did with Negan, like want to just stop like watching that particular series because it's rough. It's like a cinema uh, movie, as some say. And so, um, listen... Um, what I see my job this morning as we kick off this series, this morning with Judges, is a little unique. And um, I see my job is to, uh, for you to see and understand that Judges, this seventh book of the Bible, is just one season of a whole story, of a whole series. And I hope that if you can understand it, but you've got to understand, otherwise you won't be able to understand it, that it's a part of a whole. And also, uh, it's got famous people, people you know of, even if you've never read Judges, like Gideon and Samson. And, um, but it's also got things in it that you like, would rather not read in the Bible. And many of us probably have glossed over and don't want to face. That's true. Even real truths about our God and His holiness and how He deals with sin and different things. So it's a, it's a rough chapter of, if you will, of the whole Bible. Um, and so my job was to help you understand the scene this morning, that Judges is a scene. Let's zoom in and understand it and see how it fits into the whole so that as we move forward in this book for, the next, for this whole semester, if you will, up to the first of the year as we get to Advent, that we can, we can have a better understanding of where it fits. Because if you understand how it fits and you keep reminding yourself of that every week, it's really beautiful. 
And there's a ton for us to learn. And it will feel so appropriate. And in its scariness, you might do like you did in Ecclesiastes. And some of you came away from Ecclesiastes and said, I think that's my favorite book of the Bible now. Although it's an unusual book to have to face. And so um, uh, I hope that makes sense. And um, so what we'll look at this morning, um, I hope that we'll, as, we, as I sort of set the scene inside of a movie for you, uh, I want you to walk away this morning, seeing, understand the movie and the scene, but also seeing yourself in the movie, because you are. We're God's people. And if you're a follower of Christ, and if you're a human being, you're part of the story that God's doing and telling about himself in this world. We have to see ourselves in it, too. And um, so we'll look at four things. Um, we'll look at the covenant. Uh, we'll look at the uh, command. We'll look at the cycle. And we'll look at the conundrum. All right? I'll spend most of my time on the covenant this morning. And, uh, and by the way, we'll be reading large swaths of passages. And you saw we started in two, but this, what about Judges 1? It's more historical. And we'll, I'll have to jump around. And it, when it's a historical narrative, it's a little bit different to teach expository uh, the passage. So we'll, we'll, you'll have to see. I'll have to bring all the different passages in. So it'll be new, all right, in that way. Uh, the covenant, the command, the cycle, and the conundrum. Um, I'm going to pray. Lord, would you, um, would you help us to see uh, judges appropriately this morning? And I, I confess, Lord, I feel feeble and uh, inadequate to rightly handle so much truth and so much uh, part of the story, a difficult passage, uh, a difficult book in many ways. And, and so I need your mercy and grace as a leader, as a shepherd, as a pastor, as one who is also in the story. Uh, and, and I confess that to you. Would you help us to, Holy Spirit, would you uh, prepare our hearts? Would you prepare our minds? Would you um, help us to be prepared for action and response? And Christ, I pray, Holy Spirit, as, you, as your role in the Trinity, as you illuminate scriptures and you illuminate and exalt Christ which Holy Spirit would you do that for us today would you convict would you bring hope would you bring assurance would you bring uh, come um, those that are far away near so God as we come to your word we're humbled by it and we ask these things in the name of Christ amen all right we'll begin the first point this morning is the covenant and uh um, you'll see there in verse 6, um, before we do that, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel, we went, went each to the inheritance to take possession of the land. A little bit of the history here. The covenant, I'm going to give you a fuller history using the covenants of the fuller history of this movie or the story of the Bible in light of the covenants. But when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel each went to his inheritance to take possession of the land. So first of all, don't think of a judge like Dr. Bruce Petrie as a judge ruling justice with a robe. A judge in this case here, what a judge was, was more of a military leader. Think of a chief in that way, and the people. And by the way, at this point, there's 12 tribes of God's people, Jacob's 12 sons, and there's some, there's Joseph's sons, Manasseh, and, and others are divided up, but there's 12 tribes. And so the way God's people, the Jews, Israel, being functioned is more like states or federations of tribes that they're together. They don't have one leader anymore. Joshua has died. They don't have a single leader like Moses. They don't have a king yet, which is coming next and uh, after this uh, in, in their history. But they have these 
federa- like a federation of tribes and how they govern themselves. And the judges are, are those leaders and military leaders that Lord Sorda raises up to do that. So Joshua replaced Moses. And remember, Moses couldn't take the people in the promised land, and Joshua has just died. When Joshua and Moses led them out of the Exodus, remember God's people were uh, in rebellion. They worshiped an idol. So the Lord purified them and got rid of one generation until the next generation could go into the promised land. So they've gone into the promised land. Joshua died. He led them in there, and they were supposed to come in and conquer the Canaanites and the people there. You remember the spies, Caleb, and Joshua uh, was scared. Uh, the people were scared, and they still went to the land to conquer it, and they've been doing that. Now they're about to disperse the lands to the different tribes. And there's still some people left to drive out, and that's what they're, uh, what they're doing. So that's where we are in, in history. We're just after the Exodus. There's no kings yet, and there's judges ruling God's people. And they've just gotten into the promised land, uh, and they're dividing it up among, them, among the tribes. All right. Well, but now let's look. You'll notice the covenant is the word I use, and this is where a little bit more of the history. And I'm taking a risk this morning because you're like, are we even going to do the passage? But I really feel like, just like in the... And what I meant, that in order for you to really understand the scene that we're in, you really have to know the movie. And so I hope that what happens is what happens to Brittany when she watches a movie. She lives movies. She can't just watch them. She's like, how does that not affect you? And how are you not crying? And how are you? I mean, she can't watch high, intense movies because she gets high and tense. She has to have something like Hallmark on the screen when she's going to bed. So she's like, that'll get me riled up. So what I'm hoping is we walk through the covenants in a sense that you will, I don't just say, hey, these few facts about the covenants. I want to tell the story of the covenants so that you'll feel a part of the story and sort of be... It'll land in that way on you that you feel like, okay, uh, there's a real movie, a real story, a real God's doing here. And now I see Judges, and it makes sense, okay? So I'm going to walk you through that. Notice in Judges 2, 1 and 2, uh, we didn't read this this morning, but this is in the same chapter. The angel of the Lord went to, came to them, and he spoke to the, to the, the judges, uh, to the God's people, and he says, I have brought you up, and this is what God said to them, I have brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. So that tells you that a covenant had been made. I will never break it, is what God says. And you shall make no covenant with the people, the inhabitants that we're going to conquer. You shall not do that with them, and you shall break down their altars. But then he says, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So notice in verse 12 there, we had learned in our passage that they a couple of times abandon the Lord. They don't do keep the covenant. So this covenant language is what it is. It's the Bible is a story of covenants, and so I want to walk through them to how we got here. All right? First, let's understand the question of what is a covenant. Uh, a covenant, whether you know it or not, what we believe in the Reformed faith right now is that, that God, the only way that God relates to human beings is through covenants. That's the only way he relates to them. He actually relates always through his people through covenants. From the very beginning of creation to now, if you're a person, a follower, a human being, then God is relating to you in a covenant. All right? And some people are outside the covenant, and some of them are within it. But he relates to human beings. So let me just give you what I believe to be the definition. This is it's not my definition. Over the years, just studying, come across. I think G.I. Palmerston, maybe, is this a definition here, whatever. So here's the, what is a covenant. So notice this. A covenant is a bond in blood. A bond in blood. It's a bond in blood because it's life and death circumstance, right? Sovereignly administered. So the notice that it's sovereign. There's one who is sovereign over the covenant. And God is sovereign. Where God crosses the line of creator and created, and we're the human beings, and enters into a relationship with him. All right? Now, it is... (laughs) 
God made a covenant in you if you're a follower of Christ. It's life and death. So serious that it cost Jesus his life. And now God can relate to us. Why? Because Jesus has died. And he can create with the created. Sin had separated us. Do you see that? So it's sovereignly administered by God, and that's a covenant. So um, in that. So in this movie, this movie or the story of the Bible, God, here's what I want you to understand. This is the theme of the movie. God is always the covenant keeper. Notice in our passage, it said, I will never break my covenant. He always keeps his covenant. One of the first verses I memorized as a young Christian has been in my heart all week. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he not promise and fulfill? Does he not always speak and act? God cannot not keep his covenants because of who he is. And so when he makes them, he keeps them. The story of this movie is God's a covenant keeper. And the other part of the story is that you and I are always covenant breakers. God's a covenant keeper and a breaker. And when you see there in those verses in Judges 2, one and two there, and you shall make no covenant with, and he tries to tell us, but we break it, and you have not done this. Do you notice that language there? What is it you have done? Does that sound like something uh, else in the gener- you heard in the Genesis story in the creation when the covenant was broken there? And God says, where are you, Adam? So let's go through the covenants. I'm going to speed through them. So uh, here we go. The first covenant made is what we call in Genesis 1 in creation, called the covenant of creation and works. There's some call it the creation of works. Some call it the covenant of creation. Historically, our denominations called it the covenant of works, meaning there was God, uh, and I won't get into it. don't have time to do that. But here's the, here's the deal. Here's what the covenant is. God says, I will be with you, and I've created this place for you, and here's the covenant. Do not, uh, do not eat of this, uh, don't eat of the true of, uh, <laughs> the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that. If you eat of that, you will surely die. So there it is, life and death circumstances. If you don't, I will dwell with you, and you will live. That's his covenant. I will be with you. Notice when he made it. He was king and creator, sovereignly administering it, but he also was a God who walked with him. Remember, this king is not just a king who is far off. He's a king who's benevolent, and he's our father, like Kevin said earlier in our worship. He was with Adam and Eve. This was the covenant he made with the first human beings. All right? Well, we know what happened in Genesis 3-6. Why? Because human beings are always covenant breakers. And right, it tells us there that when uh, the woman saw the tree, it was good for food, and it was a delight in the eyes that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of his fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Covenant breaker. But guess what? God moves towards them. If you know in the Genesis story, he comes looking for them, says, where are you? Now, there were consequences. They get driven out of the garden. Death is going to come. They're not annihilated immediately, but he says death is going to come to you. Remember, God's a covenant keeper, we're a covenant breaker. In Genesis 3, we now have what we call the covenant of redemption, or the covenant of grace. Here it is in Genesis 3.15. When God is giving the curse to the woman, she say, he says, I will put enmity between, your, between you and the woman. I'm sorry, he's giving the curse to the serpent. This is the devil who made and tempted them. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. Between your offspring and her offspring. The Hebrew word there is really seed, between your seed and her seed. And he's saying, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And notice it switches to he because the seed is a, is a, is a, is a person. The seed is singular. A seed one day, Satan, you will have an offspring and there will be a seed and there will be another seed and they will war. And guess what? The story of the world is those two seeds warring. We are always worried. That's where we are in Jesus. There's the God's people and those who are not. And there's a war going on. 
And you're either a part of one seed's offspring or the other, the devil or Jesus. But notice he says, one day he, the seed, will crush you and you'll just strike his heel. It'll look like you won victory. You'll die on a cross, but he will conquer death. And right here, God makes a covenant that Jesus will come. This is the story of redemption. He says, I promise one day one will come that will crush the serpent. And today we live in light of that. And every part of the covenants that we're going to, I'm going to tell you are always adding new amendments to this struggle uh, of the war of the seeds. But God has bound himself that one will come that will crush. That's the movie. That's the story of life, all right? Now, it doesn't take long. Right, right after that, they, they, he really quickly, by Genesis 6, look at the language. For Genesis 6, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on earth and that every intention of his thoughts and his heart were evil continually. You look where man went. God's faithful and keeps moving towards them. And now evil is continually them. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth. And it grieved him to his heart. You see his benevolence. You see him, I've made a covenant. And he wants to pour out his anger. But he doesn't. He does destroy, but he doesn't destroy everyone. Why? Because a seed has to come. And so he makes a covenant with Noah. One person lives. Why? Because he, he's made a covenant that there will have to be one that will crush the seed. And so he keeps being gracious. And, he said, and so you see the covenant there with Noah. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come to the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons with you. I will establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off the waters of the flute. And when he comes off the ark, it sounds like Genesis again. They're like, here, you can rule. The, the bears will listen to you, and you can have and rule and subdue. It's almost like a restart over. There he destroys the earth, but he's faithful. He's gracious. He's still gracious in saving people who don't deserve it. They come out of that, but dang, Genesis 11 shows up. And just five chapters later, man is building a tower, thinks he's like God, and look what it says, the Tower of Babel. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops and heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, let we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They thought they could be with God and reach him. They're arrogant. Sounds like the garden when she thought she could know and he thought he could know everything like God. Yet again, man is a covenant breaker and God is a covenant keeper. And so what does God do to frustrate them? He makes them not be able to speak in languages so they can't build anymore. And he divides up all the nations and have different languages. But guess what? He's a covenant keeper. And after that, comes the Abrahamic covenant. You know why the Abrahamic covenant says that you will be my God and I will be your people to the nations? Your seed will go to the nations? He dispersed the nations out of his anger and wrath towards them, but then he's still faithful to be gracious and he's going to gather people from every tongue, tribe, and nation out of the Abrahamic covenant, which says, Abraham, I will be your God and your offspring will be as numerous as the heavens, as the stars in the heavens. And we get to the verse that you all read, part of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 17. says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Everlasting. To be a God to you and to your offspring. See that language? The seed, offspring, and I will give to you to your offspring after your land. And so, and I will, um, an everlasting possession. Well, God's people, when we come into this when we come into Judges, I want you to know that particular covenant is at play. God promised he'd give them a land. He promised them a promised land, a physical place that they could flourish. 
Finally, they get there in this covenant. God has given to being faithful what he said we would do despite everyone else. After that is the Mosaic Covenant. And the Mosaic Covenant says um, this, and this is when after they are, the, the nation, uh, you remember Jacob, and after the nation is raised up, the 12 tribes, they, um, uh, they find themselves, or the, the brothers, they go and grow, the tribes go and grow, and they become under the rule of Egypt, and they find themselves captured again. And they find themselves enslaved and find themselves in a bad place. And some of it, some think because of the sin of Hagar, that the Egyptians would rule over God's people, uh, Sarah's offspring. But nevertheless, they need to be rescued again, and God is faithful. He sends Moses, brings them out, and God makes a covenant with them and says, here's my laws, I'm going to help you thrive, and you must obey them. So as we come into Judges, this story of God being a covenant keeper and men being covenant breakers is happening over and over and over again. And when it gets after this story of Judges, there's going to be the Davidic covenant, which God will make with David and says, I promise there'll be a king that will be a rule on the throne forever and it will come from David. Talking about Jesus. Why? Because all the way back at the beginning, he said a seed will come and he will crush. Jesus must come. The people must be rescued. And no matter how bad the people are, how bad things are going on, God is going to be faithful to what he said he would do, and he will bring one who will crush. And then finally, Jeremiah 31, the new covenant. Read this. This is where the story ends. This is where the movie's going. This is where we are. We're in the end. We're in the story, and this is what it's a part of. May I read it to you, and may you see all the language of the Old Testament, all the language of, um, of Judges in this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. It broke his heart the way a bride breaks the heart of a groom when she betrays him. He says, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one of them teach his neighbor and each of his brother, saying, you know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's where we live, and that's the promise of a new heavens and a new earth and the fullness of what Ezekiel says. That's the story of the covenants, and God is faithful, and we're unfaithful. So when we get to Judges, what Judges does is Judges zooms in on this period of ridiculous unfaithfulness of God's people in the midst of his faithfulness. And you see it, and it's nasty. Some books of the Bible see it, but we see the unfaithfulness here, and it'll be a little bit overwhelming. But you must remember that's the point. God's people are unfaithful. God is faithful. We can't sing, oh, how marvelous. Oh, how marvelous. If we have any faith. It would be, he's marvelous and we're pretty good too. So it brings us. It's a zoomed in picture of the story. So I want to remind you today, right now, just as they were in Judges, you sit under the covenant faithfulness of God. He's just as committed to you as his people today as he was then. And his covenant is secure. May that bring you hope. I know you've been unfaithful this week. So have I. I know that you wonder Things are going to be okay. Are other kings going to rule our lives? Are other circumstances? 
There is a God who is faithful to his covenant. And the story has a great end for us. And Christ has come. And we know way more than they knew. You need to hear that hope today. And may his faithfulness to you soften your heart and make you want to be faithful to. Not because he's, he's not faithful to you because you're faithful. He's faithful to you because he's faithful. And may that win your heart. The last couple of things as we zoom into Judges are, are not as full as that, what I want you to walk away with this morning. One is the command, and we didn't read that this either, but there is a command specifically within this covenant for this period of time that God gave to the, to the Jews, to Israel, to Joshua and his people, and he gave it numerous times, and Moses gave it in Deuteronomy and different places. He told them to do something when they got to the promised land, and they're not doing it. They didn't fully obey. And part of the things of Judges is going to be sort of halfway obedience. But I don't feel like I'm a good pastor unless I let you see that command because it's a difficult command. All right? Here it is. Deuteronomy 7, 2 through 4. This, was one of the, this is one of the places we get the command. And when the Lord God gives, gives you them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy. So... God is saying, when you go in and see the Canaanites who are in the promised land right now, when you get there, he's saying, I don't want you to, uh, and God gives them over to you. I want you to defeat them. You must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show them no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving them your daughters, their sons, or taking their daughters and your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you. So the reason with the passage we read this morning that we see the anger of God kindling against them is because they didn't do what he told them to. And yes, you're reading it rightly. He told them to annihilate all the Canaanites. Complete destruction of all of them. How does that command of God make you feel? God was loving. Sixth and eighth commandment to not kill. And what's God doing? I hope one of the things that's true of this church is that we teach the whole counsel of the scriptures, by the way. That we're faithful to that. Let me just remind you that for God to destroy evil and wicked and people is not new the Bible there is the flood we just read about right he wiped out everybody but Noah and his family you remember Uzzah the guy carrying the ark in the Old Testament and he, he touched the ark he wasn't supposed to it was just falling and he was annihilated immediately remember Ananias and Sapphira that disobeyed the Lord and pfft, Remember the sons of Korah who were before Moses and they were swallowed up into the earth? You remember that actually there is a hell and that God will pour out his wrath towards people who have not trusted in Christ? That's a reality. 
God is just and he's holy. And he hates evil and sin and will destroy it. Let me tell you a little bit about the Canaanites. And I know this is a difficult, I hope to land us well with this passage, with this particular thought. Canaanites were all the people you'll read, or all that would be the, just the whole group that's in the promised land, and they were Baal worshipers. We saw that in our passage. Leviticus 18 tells us a little bit about what Baal worshipers did, but here's what was true of them. Their sexual deviancy was out of crazy, out of, out of whack. From incest, if you read Leviticus 18, God specifically, because they're going to go into Canaan, he's like, don't do anything they're doing. Don't sleep with your sister. Don't have sex with your brother. Don't. They, he goes through the whole list of family members to make sure that they're really clear about incest. Incest is going on there all the time in the Canaanites. Every other deviancy, including bestiality. And there's sorcery and witchcraft, in a sense, and, and sorcery. And they were sacrificing children on the altars. It was human sacrifices, primarily children. Now, I just tell you that about Bill worshipers about the Canaanites. Is there, is there anything in you? Do you ever long for evil be dealt with or punished? Does that ever come up in your heart? Think about when we were coming out of Afghanistan, you read the stories when we drew out that, that moms were taking their children and pitching them over the fence to say it's better to be an orphan than to live under the Taliban. What if you were in Nazi Germany and you were living a Jew living in that? Do you think any part of you might appeal or want evil to be dealt with? That's part of being human. We do want evil to be dealt with, don't we? It'd be interesting to know, sort of laughing, uh, how your political views or your personality or your story makes you answer the question about what's the right thing to do in your opinion, what God did here. That'd be interesting. Keller says the liberals uh, think always forgive and love. That's the liberal view, and the conservatives, God will punish you. Depends on how you'd come at it. Which ones deserve? Oh, I can't believe God would do that. He's going to always tell you, you can't believe you do it, or he should do it. I mean, which one is it? Which, by the way, I didn't say this this week. A lot of people, why are we doing judges? And I gave a lot of reasons, some good reasons. I do want to say one of the reasons we pick judges because we're about to go into a political crazy year and that we as God's people wouldn't look to governments or kings for our hope and then we'd submit to the scriptures and judges part of that story that was a parenthesis you can pay extra at the door for that one but back to the heaviness of it and then as you deal with these hard things let me just ask you the question one, one last thing on this particular two last things on this particular heavy Part of the command. When you begin to read and think what you think God should and shouldn't be doing, you just have, we have to ask ourselves when, not you, when we do that, because I do it too. You got to ask the question, do I think I have all the wisdom and holiness and knowledge and power to figure out what's the best thing to do with people? Do I really think I'm that wise and that good and that holy and that to figure that out I'll show you a picture see that baby picture he was about six months old I don't know seven or eight months sweet picture of a little child anybody know who that child is Hitler 
I'm not going to debate you. I'm just put that up there to say. Can you figure that one out? An innocent child and six man shoes? Are we really going to conclude we're God? No, the better thing, what Judges actually ends up doing, what God does in Judges, is that his people end up being just like the Canaanites. And that's true of us. We're just, we have the ability apart from God's grace to be just like the Canaanites at any second. If you have sin in your heart, your heart in your heart wants to do everything the Canaanites did, whether you know it or not. And so the story, the command, the, the story of Judges, here you go, we're getting back. The way we ought to read Judges is there's evil, there's God's people, and there's, and there's people who are not God's people, and the only difference between God's people and the bad people in the world is a God who's faithful to a covenant. The only difference between us, if you're a follower of Christ, the only difference between you and a lost person is not because you're better, it's not because you figured it out, it's not because you make good decisions, it's not that. The only difference between you and everyone else is the grace of God. That he sought you and he bought you and he brought you into the seed of the Son. And by the way, let this preach to us. When you see the, the, God's anger towards sin and his wrestling with it with his own people, let it, let it, let it, let, don't, do you understand what Jesus absorbed? Like it just wasn't, oh, let him go. Like he became the fullness of evil. That's that doctrine he, that he became sin. He became, he became the most guilty sinner of all people who have ever lived. He took it on him. He became sin. He became the one who deserved the most wrath in the world. It was him. He took it. So this, this wrath that we see here, don't forget that Jesus absorbed that for you. He absorbed it fully. Jesus, I mean, Jesus paid it all. I mean, he did. This is what he paid. This is what he got. What you and I deserved. May it take us there. Listen, in the last two, the cycle, I'm going to deal with it next week, but I want you to see it. The cycle is in our passage we lived with this week. And there's a cycle that happens over and over in Judges. And it's a cycle that you and I go through. But they relapse, I'm using this language. Uh, I think Henderson's came up with, I forget what, what scholar did it, but here's what they do. Here's the pattern that was in our pattern today. We're not gonna, we're gonna look at this more next week. They relapse, they move away. Remember, they're all human beings and God's people are always unfaithful, they're covenant breakers. They relapse. God's anger comes towards them, there's retribution. When it comes towards them, here he takes down and says, hey, I'm gonna let these people groups, the Canaanites, actually plunder you instead. Then they find themselves broken and they cry out to God. And they sort of repent. It's not full repentance, but they repent. They turn to God. God, in his compassion, sends a rescuer. And that pattern is over and over. And we'll see it next week in our first judge. But remember that pattern. 
And by the way, you can just walk away today and say, I live that pattern almost every day. Because after the judge dies, they go back and actually we learn in Judges they were in a worse place than they were before. People are covenant breakers. God is a covenant keeper. That's the movie, that's it. So lastly, the conundrum. And I just want to draw your attention to this. When you read our long passage this morning, did you notice sort of the emotion swings of God, in a sense? Like, that's a hard word to use because he's the same yesterday, day for today. He's immutable and unchanging. I know all those things about him, but this is sort of an anthropomorphism. That's a big word there. You impressed? Meaning they give human-like characteristics to God, so it helps us understand what he's, what he's doing. But notice in the beginning, they abandoned the Lord, and they served him. It says the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. This is God's people. We're not talking about the people. We're not talking about the, the, the Canaanites. We're talking about God's people. They abandoned the Lord, and his anger was stirred towards them. Then we keep reading in verse 15, and they sort of cry out. And it says in verse 18 that the Lord was moved to pity. Why? Because they were groaning. And he's compassionate, and he moves towards them. Sounds like the same story I was telling you before. But then... They abandon the Lord again, and they go keep going through that cycle. And by the, this, after they don't listen to the judge, whenever the judge died, they turn back to were more corrupt. And so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel again. Do you see that? He's mad. He's loving. He's compassionate. He's mad again. Which is it, God? Are you mad at me today, or are you... Compassionate to me today. You feel that way sometimes? You wondering that about God? The going, the going back and forth is a tension that's all the way through the Bible. And it's a tension that is only fixed by Jesus Christ. Will I be just and punish? Will I be loving and kind? How can he do both? God is always just and holy. He would not be who he is if he were to let any sin go unpunished. And will I be, or will I be loving? And do you see that even this going back and forth is going to highlight for us that Jesus himself, only there, and his wrath when Jesus died and exhorted, was his anger finally satisfied? So that his love can be set free on his people. Only at the cross. Are those tensions that back and forth satisfied? Only at the cross is it God is salvation. Do you want us to keep the covenants or not? Do you want us to obey or not? Is your love conditional based on whether or not we obey it or unconditional whether or not we don't obey it? You're going to love us despite. Where does that fixed? It's fixed at the cross. His love was conditional. We must be perfect. Jesus met that condition so that his unconditioned love we, now we have an unconditional love that we can't, we never met that. He met that for us in Christ. Jesus did it so that his unconditional love. You see that? Conditions had to be met. Somebody had to obey. Jesus did it. Why? So that we can have unconditional love. You see that? Don't forget, that's the movie. That's the story that's going on. So finish, see this in verse 19. 
Uh, Daniel Freeman pointed this out in our study this week, and he beat me to this point. I hope I would have landed there. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than the fathers. Whenever God brings them a judge, and they do well, and then the judge dies, and they, don't, they go back to their old ways. But I want you to remember this. When the judge was present, they prospered. When the judge died, they got worse. But Jesus is the better judge. He's the rescuer who can rescue forever, not just for a moment. His work is not temporary like these judges were, and only a temporary fix. His fix for you and your heart is a permanent fix. And he was a judge unlike Samson, unlike Gideon, and unlike all of them. They're, they're scoundrels in many ways. He was a perfect judge. He was the perfect leader and in every way. In his death, notice when he, they died, destruction came. But guess what came to you when he died? Through his death, life comes. Prosperity and flourishing comes. I've come that you may have a life. How did he have it? Because I'm the judge, the true and good judge who died for you. So what? So how do you respond? How do you respond today? I think a little bit we touched on here is in verse 10 from our passage. How should you what does this mean for you today? Well, notice this. It said that all generations that gathered their fathers this is a scary thought, and there rose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, and or that the work had not done of Israel. So a whole generation had forgotten what God had done. And I, what I want you to walk away this morning with, here's what you should do. You don't want to be like this generation. So move towards God. He drew near to you. Know him. And then don't forget what he's done for you. For them, it was the Exodus. That was the Old Testament cross. They forgot the Exodus. It was just two generations, three generations away. They forgot that a God saved them and brought them out of the land of captivity. And our so your so what today is to keep remembering the one who brought you out of the land of captivity, the true and better judge. May you leave with that today. Let's pray. Lord, um, as we... Um, come and respond to you now in singing would you uh, would you would you help us to remember the beauty of the gospel that is seen in judges and father it is true what human being does not deserve your destruction all do for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and they all do. And Lord, but may we relish that the only reason that we have life and forgiveness and newness and hope is because you have shown your mercy. And you and your covenant faithfulness have saved us. And may it build our hearts. May it transform us. May, we, may you help us, Lord. May we see ourselves and be oh so familiar. May it be a familiar story to our hearts. And may you convict us and transform us as we look at this chapter in all of history for your people. For your fame and glory we gather in the name of Christ. Amen.